Hey there, this is Manisha Kalagatur for Tell It Like It Is. Thank you for all the feedback you've sent me for the last episode. You can now leave a voice message with your feedback by going to anchor.fm slash manisha-kadagatur slash message and recording your message and I'll try and include it in a future podcast. That's anchor.fm slash manisha-kadagatur slash message. My guest today is Naveen Mittal, a passionate brewer and the co-founder and partner at the Gateway Brewing Company in Mumbai, one of a few resto bars which serve great beer and terrific food. This is not surprising because Naveen is a foodie who loves to cook as well. You can catch his experiments with beer on indianbeergeek.com. Let's dive in. Hey Naveen, how have you been? All good, thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to have you today on this podcast. Uh, and I'd just like to jump in with the first question, which is why beer? and what's so special about it and is this your first venture well why beer what's so special first venture too many questions all thrown in together but let me address them <clears throat> why beer you know some say that uh, man got civilized because he wanted to drink beer so if you go back in time probably 5 6000 years ago right there's this catch 22 you know did man uh, cultivate grain to make bread or did he cultivate grain to make beer so that question has still not been answered but we beer lovers believe that you know we got civilized and started growing grains uh, to make beers so for me you know beer has always been a drink of choice uh, right from the college days and perhaps you know last year of school uh, till you know date and all the while through college you know the only beer i had was you know the yellow liquid which you get in the bottle right and we all thought you know that's the beer that's the end all and be all of what a beer could be and should be and you know that was fine and that's what you got in the market but i was in the us in you know between 2000 and 2003 and while studying there and working for a fortune 100 company i came across you know various types of beers and you know i didn't quite pay a whole lot of attention to them i just you know went and got the regular yellow beers which were you know amstel and budweiser but i also picked up you know sam adams in sierra nevada uh, you know and a couple of other brands and those beers were distinctly you know different they had you know they were richer they were more flavorful some were more bitter some were very refreshing and i kind of started liking those beers but once again i never paid any heed to them I came back to India in 2003 to join my uh you know so called family business uh, we also own shadi.com and I came back to start uh, the website which would kind of look at the dating aspect uh, of the youth and during that time I couldn't find any other beer to have except for you know the good old kingfisher and there were a few imports which were available uh, but they were costly So every time somebody went abroad I used to tell them hey can you get me a six pack of you know who garden or a lefe or a sam adams and they used to laugh you know and they used to say what nonsense people ask for single malt scotch whiskey and you ask us to get beer Absolutely. but nonetheless you know yeah it's pretty crazy isn't it and uh, my few of my friends got me those beers and my brother in law stays in belgium so he used to get me the beers and obviously they couldn't carry more than six or probably 12 of them 
and <clears throat> I would probably finish it in two or three sittings, you know, during the week. So one day I was having this, uh, you know, beer, which was on the last few bottles that I had left off. And I was wondering, what is this beer and where it comes from? You know, where does it come from? A lot of people, you know, don't know where the products come from. You know, you somebody's chicken curry, where did the chicken come from? It came from nature's basket. You know, kind of draw the line over there, right? <laughs> <laughs> or if you ask somebody, you know, what is coffee? Where does coffee come from? Or, you know, where does tea come from? So let's say the tea leaves, but then, you Dajiling. know, Dazzling, Dazzling, right? So I went online and I searched on Google, you know, what is beer and, uh, you know, how is it made? And I came across a whole lot of articles and uh, to simplify things, it was basically uh, beer is made by crushing, you know, barley malt, soaking it in water, uh, you know, draining that water, boiling it, adding yeast, fermenting and beer is ready. And I also found that over a million people make beer at home in the United States. So that was extremely fascinating. So this was in 2005, 2006. I kind of started reading all I could about beer. And I said, if they can do it, you know, there should be, you know, valid enough reason for me to try it out and perhaps be successful at it. Uh, but there were, you know, few challenges, you know, getting malt in India. There was no homebrew culture where you there were no small shops selling you, you know, various ingredients and equipment which you could use to make beer. So, you know, I just kept reading and basis that I was able to, you know, make my small equipment, which I would need to make beer. And I wrote to large companies who sell, you know, malt by the truckloads and asked them to give me five kilos. A lot of them did not even bother to reply. But there's one company uh, who used to send me, you know, five kilos at a time. And using that, I started kind of making beer at home. And I started a blog called, you know, Indian Beer Geek. And, you know, I kind of read so much and I became so passionate about the product that within about four years or so, you know, I'd kind of become, you know, an expert. I could, I could kind of look at a beer and I could say, you know, I can, I can create a recipe for this beer probably in one, one try or two tries. So no, during this time, hang on, yeah. Hang on. So, interesting. Yeah, yeah. so you're saying that, so one is to enjoy beer and the other right. one is to actually taste it and, mm. you know, I, I actually distill the ingredients and right. talk about all of them. Now, that's that's a very evolved palette. How did that happen? So that happens when you when you go nuts over something, right? So you read a whole lot and you start making. So, for example, if you make eggs every day, you know, twice a day, right. make eggs for 365 days, right? Right. And when somebody else is making an egg or somebody gives you an egg dish, right, you can tell what is wrong, what is right, or, you know, how to make that dish, right? It's, it's like a chef, right? They get trained, uh, you know, in cooking for years on end. And when they taste a dish, they're able to tell the texture, they're able to tell the flavor, they're able to tell the ingredients, and they're able to a large extent, you know, recreate that dish maybe in one or two tries, right? So after having brewed, you know, batch upon batch upon batch from 2006 until today also, Right. I could, you know, in 2010, 11, I could look at a beer and I could tell, you know, what kind of grains would give me the color, what kind of grains would give me the flavor, uh, you know, what kind of yeast would give me the character I'm looking for in this beer. And I just, uh, you know, kept on doing it. And I kept writing on my blog also. And through my blog, I met two people. Uh, one was Rahul Mehra and uh, he wrote to me saying that, hey, Navin, teach me how to brew. I've seen your blog and perhaps we could do something together. So I taught him how to brew. During that time, I went to Brew Lab in the UK just to do a formal course in brewing. 
uh, by then I had known everything, but the cultural immersion I got over there was fabulous. And, uh, you know, so Rahul and I started brewing together. Then another person got in touch with me through, you know, he was in Sydney and he was also a home brewer and he was coming back to India, Krishna Nayak. So three of us then got together, wrote a business plan and then kind of got this business started. Wow. So that's, that's the whole journey. I can elaborate a lot more about, you know, how and where and what, but in a nutshell, this is how my love for beer, uh, you know, and the passion for making it got me to start, you know, this particular business. There were two more wow. fragments to this question, right? So if you could repeat those, I'll address those as well. <laughs> so I, I had asked what's special about it. So you, you've told, told me about the love of beer. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I suspect there are many more stories over there that you're going to share yeah. with me. Yeah. And also, this was your first venture. Not really. This is not my first venture. Uh, I'm 47 years old and I've been working since the age of, I think, 16, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so I've been through quite a few businesses, uh, but one common theme amongst all these businesses has been uh, product development. So I've always been the product sort, the creative sort, the person who likes to dabble, uh, you know, be creative, innovative, and, and make something which is relevant to the consumer. For example, my first uh, business was making, you know, these coloring material, which was used for dyeing jeans. So we used to right. supply these colors to, you know, the Lee, uh, the Levi's uh, manufacturers and so on and so forth. And I used to come up with different shades and names for these, uh, you know, colors. And I used to be responsible for the product sales uh, and education of the end user. So from there, I went on to, you know, do my MBA in the U.S. And I was responsible for developing, you know, the enterprise-wide, you know, travel and expense software. So I did that and I was making another product. That's when I left and I came back to India. And then I conceived, uh, you know, an Indian dating website called Fropper.com. Fropper being short for friend hopper, which is part of the whole Shadi.com family. And that also was a lot of innovation, creativity, subscription models. You know, this is in 2006, 2008. I'm talking about mobile websites and stuff. And uh, post that, I got into arbitrage of gold and uh, oil. Luckily, I didn't lose any money there. Uh, but never made any money over there as well. And then finally, at the moment, I'm in uh, uh, making beer, innovating different styles, different uh, tastes, flavors, and you know, continuing what I love to do. I, I can't even draw like a like a theme over here, except for love <laughs> product development and tech, right? No, um, so I'll tell you the theme. The theme <laughs> is very simple. The theme is if if you have to make a living, right? right. You either get a job, correct? Yeah. And that's what I had done when I was in the U.S. I was with Unlocked Devices. I had a job. And within about a year, year and a half, I was like, listen, I need to go back to India and do my own thing. Yeah, so I mean, if you're I doing expense back... websites, then sure, yeah. <laughs> Travel reimbursement. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it was an enterprise-wide project, you know, 250,000 people using it. That was, you know, fun stuff while it lasted. So then I came back and uh, I said, I need to start something on my own. And prior to that also, you know, we had a business family. My father was running, you know, textile mills and he started his own and all that stuff. So I guess it is fear of failure or desperation to do something to earn a living. Uh, you know, that drives you, right? You, know, you have to fill your pockets somewhere or the other. Completely. I get that. So, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> let's, let's jump into the, the more uh, exciting part of what you do right now, right? Right. Um, 
Now, anyone who, I mean, during the lockdown now, most people have become home chefs and, you know, master chefs and stuff like that. But mm. any sort of cooking, any mm. sort of baking, and mm. I would think home brewing also is mm. a mix of chemistry and uh, creativity. So Absolutely. understanding how various things sort of relate with each other and stuff like that, right? Right. Um, how do you balance that out? Were you good at chemistry? Is that does that come naturally to you, or how did how does I that was happen? I was I was horrible at chemistry, right? And I I don't say that the subject is difficult or the subject is uh, not exciting. I blame it on the teachers fairly and squarely, right? My teacher who taught me in school would probably get really upset if she was around, but I blame it on the teacher. Uh, you know, they made it bloody boring as hell. <clears throat> they made us by heart the periodic table, and it was absolutely shit. So, you know, it's just, but there are nutcases who will kind of buy out everything and love all the balancing of the equations and stuff. So leave those folks alone. Uh, Like I said, my first uh, job was, uh, you know, selling these dyeing coloring matter, you know, to various uh, jeans manufacturers, right? Now, that itself was a very chemically involved product. And my background, my dad's background has been weaving and textile processing. So just by growing up, we knew how fabric was made. I could touch a fabric and say, this is polyester, this is viscose, this is cotton. I knew what WAP and WEFT were. And I knew how to do those calculations just because my dad did all those things, right? So immediately when we started, uh, my dad came up with this idea to sell dyeing and coloring matter. I dove into certain books to figure out the practical uses and the practical usage of those dyes to kind of color and derive different shades in your genes. So yes, it was, you know, a little bit of chemical interaction and understanding, but you never had to get into the depth of it. For example, you use a mobile phone, but do you know how the network behind it works? You don't need to know the network behind it, right? You just need to know how the phone works, how the touch interface works or how an app works. So similarly, you have to just dig, I think, probably two levels and you should be able to kind of figure things out. So that was my first... uh, foray into something, you know, deeper than what other casual people would do. From there, like I told you, I was in the U.S. doing tech. Now, I was my master's in e-commerce and marketing. I'm not a mm-hmm. tech person. But uh, in 2000, the market had turned and I was hired in the marketing department and put in the coding department. Right? So it was a cliche, right? Indian coding to coding with Right? So I never touched coding. I never had any idea what coding was. But it can't be rocket science. So I picked up a book and I kind of went through. And I realized that, yes, if you put your mind to it, you know, it's simple enough. Because what we do is high-level coding. We don't do machine language coding, right? All these Microsofts of the world have kind of developed languages that you can understand and write. And everything else is done by the software of the application interface to translate it into machine language, right? So I did all of that. And by doing all of that, I also understood the consumer side as in the interaction of the software with the consumer, the front face, right? And that helped me start the dating website over here. Wow. Right? So now that that led to another, you know, one thing led to the other. And immediately when I read about beer and how beer is made, you know, cooking comes to people when they go and study abroad and live alone, especially as Indians, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, You know, I, I never cooked in my life. I went there and it was like, you know, cereal boxes and milk. The best I could do was buy bread and buy cold cuts and buy cheese and sandwiches were ready. But then we used to have this desperation for chana masala and rice. Or we used to want to have pav bhaji. Or for that, my utter paratha. So we had to figure out how to make this nonsense, you know, once in a week or once in a month. 
so you know made a little bit of this and came back to india and you know started dabbling into cooking when i became 120 kilos and i wanted to drop weight so i got into whole primal paleo and i started eating you know a uh, lot of meat a lot of fat uh, natural produce and started cooking for the whole family at home wow right so from breakfast to lunches to dinner so all the cooking happened and i read a lot about cooking and <clears throat> got fascinated by it and to date you know a lot of recipes at home you know are made by the cook but obviously tweaked by us or if something is amiss i go fix that so i think there's a natural tendency for people you know there are certain types of people who like to you know be creative who like to dabble you know a few inches uh, below the surface and uh, you know make their own or figure out things on their own that's a, that's very intense huh Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've taken to baking also recently. In the last three months, all I've done is a uh, whole lot of baking. Don't tell me you've made banana bread. No, I make sourdough. That I make sourdoughs to die for. Kya baat hai? Very you nice. Now I. You see the photo. You'll say, "Abhi bech do, abhi dukan khol do." Now I know that uh, you know the Gateway Brewing Company. Uh, yes. and the gateway tap room yeah the gateway tap room in particular has uh-huh. fantastic beer obviously brewed by you and yeah. and great food now that's right. that's not very common in most mm. resto pubs because it's right. all about drinking a lot getting smashed and you know passing out sort of a thing yeah yeah But here it's so much about the food as well mm. so uh, tell me a little bit about how you made so two questions here how did you make this transition from this home brewing to doing mm. it at a commercial stage mm. and how did you blend in this whole love for food with your restaurant okay so i'll touch upon how did i go from a home brewer to a commercial brewer right right so you know if you read about the top brands in the united states one of them is sierra nevada and yeah. most of the home breweries in the united states most of the brewers craft breweries in the united states you know a large percentage of them have been home brewers mm-hmm. so this is the general trend you know you start with uh, home brewing because you love beer and then you ruin your life by making beer and saying i want to make this into a business this is sort right? of like the airline business start as a billionaire and become a millionaire sort of <laughs> yeah something <Right>? like that. <laughs> yeah okay. something like that right or it says no teach a man how to fish and he lead for life teach yeah. a man how to make beer and you ruin his life oh really wow that's a nice <laughs> one <laughs> because you go crazy right you can't stop making beer it's not about drinking copious amounts uh, it's about the variety it's about the creativity it's about the excitement of opening a new brew which you've made and sharing with friends and stuff like that right, right. so i think i lost the question you say okay how do i transition so a lot of people a lot of home brewers you know have transitioned into commercial breweries and i was at a point where you know the the meltdown had happened in 2008 2009 if you remember yeah right so i was in shadi.com running the dating website and stuff and i kind of moved on from there and i said i will get into money management get into arbitrage you know a completely different field so i did that for a good two two and a half years but the good thing was in the background i was always making beer at home and okay. my i always had the pulse on the industry you know what's happening abroad what's going on in the us what's happening in india so in india by then you know there were some breweries in bangalore there was one in pune there were a few in gurgaon so i felt you know that i think this is the right time for us for me at least to make this a commercial venture right mm-hmm. now how do you go about doing this i have never set up an industry 
you know, we, we were doing internet and internet is everything online, right? So how do you go about doing this? So we had no clue. So we wrote a letter to the minister of excise, the gentlemen mm -hmm. or sirs, we want to start a brewery. What do we do? We didn't expect any reply, but in 15 days, we got a reply to come and meet the minister of excise, right? So Rahul and myself got really excited and we went there and the minister gave us about 30 seconds after waiting for about three, four hours. But the good thing he did was he called up the excise department and said, these boys are coming. Please give them information on how to set up a brewery, right? So we went there, you know, but this is a government department, right? They function the way like they like to function and there is no accounting for things, I would think, right? So it took us forever just to get basic information on how a microbrewery is set up because there was only one in Maharashtra. So nobody had any clue as to what was the requirement, but it took us a while, a good three, four months just to get that information out. But the policy was not conducive to setting up something in the metropolitan region, right? So the excise department had a policy which said, go ahead and create microbreweries. But the moment you said, I want to create one, they wanted a BMC clearance. And BMC would say, listen, in the metropolitan region, I'm not letting you put up a polluting industry, not knowing that a microbrewery is less polluting or probably equally you know, polluting as a restaurant, as small as that, right? Really? So the pollution board, yeah, it's, it's small. You know, microbreweries are tiny things. They make about 300, 400 liters a day, right? So the pollution board wouldn't give us the clearance. The BMC wouldn't give us the clearance. So then we went back to the department. We worked with a few people, you know, the seniors over there. We reasoned with them. We gave them information from across different countries. Uh, you know, it took us a good year and a half. And finally, they changed the policy. <clears throat> they said, you know, you can set up a brewery in an industrial area and you can keg your beer and you can sell it to various bars and restaurants. And during that time, they also changed the other policy, which was you can set up a restaurant brewery in metropolitan regions, the Mumbai metropolitan region. So we started writing the business plan in 2011, uh, formed the company in November 2011, and we sold our first beer in January of 2014, right? So few things we have to learn from this. One, it is extremely frustrating working with government departments. Two, liquor is all the more frustrating because we fall under the Prohibition Act. We do not drink beer or alcohol. Alcohol is a big taboo in this state and this country for that matter. And uh, it is a joyride or it is a uh, you know, the highs and the lows of, you know, meeting with departments, getting approvals, getting things done, right, can, can really disturb your mind. But, and, and then you have to have enough money to kind of back you up for those two years, two and a half years of struggle or three years of struggle. And I know quite a few other microbreweries who came after us. I helped a few of them. Most of them have struggled for at least a year, if not more. And it's a Herculean task to set up a small business in this state, you know, we do business not because the government helps us. We do business because we want to do business. You know, if somebody sensible was around, they say, listen, are you mad? Pack your bags and leave this country or this state and get doing something somewhere else. So it's, it's a Herculean task, I would say. So it's a challenging, uh, you know, roller coaster ride. And there are many licenses, I would presume, right? Well, yeah, there are licenses and, uh, you know, every license has its own, you know, time timeline or babu line or whatever you want to call it. One, one, one very interesting or very depressing or sad anecdote is this. We needed to have a police clearance, right? Uh, right. Because we're getting an alcohol production license. So we went to the commissioners or whatever the office was, local office over here. And the guy asked us for 25,000 rupees just to give us the clearance. 
and we didn't have money and we said we don't have money we cannot give you you want to come and have some tea down with us we can do that but he said no i won't give it to you but every other paperwork was stuck it wasn't moving so 3 months later he was transferred so we got a clearance from some other gentleman who had come along right <laughs> so it's 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 an exercise of frustration getting things done at a small level so if you're a small enterprise small or micro enterprise and that too in in the real world in terms of manufacturing and services things can get very difficult and yeah. talk to me about the food talk to me about the food talk to me about huh. the flavors and what are some of the, the interesting things that you've actually brewed so we the the number of recipes we started with uh, you know a hefeweizen which is a classical german style wheat beer and this recipe i i learned from a chinese lady who sold us equipment right we at the end of the day when we got our equipment part of it we were like shit she screwed us over but uh, you know going back uh, in time i see that weizen which is a flagship brand was developed because she told me you know use a certain temperature for fermentation right so i think uh, you know whatever wrong they've done us they kind of redeemed themselves by letting me make a beer which is loved by everybody so that's a classic uh, wheat beer we make uh, we also make a darker version of the same beer which is also another classic which is a dunkel whites and we call it doppelganger and then we have you know an ipa ipa is a india pale ale uh, it's a beer which is richer more flavorful uh, malty it has uh, you know good hints of bitterness uh, aroma of you know tropical fruits and uh, pine and various other uh, you know aromatic compounds so these are the three main beers we make and then we keep experimenting with various things so for example for bombay canteen we made a beer using darjeeling black tea and earl grey right so they wow. used to release it they used to release it every year for the anniversary and we called it darling ji right so it went very well with bombay canteen and they loved the beer we did something called kapi stout by using coffee from you know chikmangalore and we bought it from blue tokai guys so it was lovely to have you know something which is local yet something which is international and fused together to create a new you know beautiful beverage uh, we made something in diwali using cardamom and saffron right so all your mithais in diwali have those two spices and we yeah. made a beer called you know festival so you and we kind of served it with a gold silver leaf on top so if you had a sip you would probably feel that you had you know a bite of a mithai you know the aftermath the after flavors it wasn't as sweet but the flavors that lingered were you know the mithai flavors uh, we've done things with uh, cucumber and uh, we've done things with gin extracts uh, we've done things with beetroot so we made a beer which was called uh, what was it called beet beets have been slain a uh, dead beet ale right so it was red in color earthy and after fermentation you get a lot of you know berry notes from that uh, particular fruit particular vegetable so a lot of these crazies happen because one you know reading about what other breweries are doing two i like to cook right so when i when i cook or when i go to the vegetable market or vegetable stall i like to see what's there and you know i keep thinking can i put this in this and what will be the end result so that leads to a lot of you know different flavors and different styles then we brainstorm with a lot of restauranters right for darling ji we were sitting and brainstorming with the owners you know what was their thought what kind of beer would work for their particular consumer consumers and restaurant uh, we make a beer for woodside in every single year you know for the beer and burger festival that happens in july and august 
right? So we start the pacing session in January and start having discussions so that the bill is conceptualized and produced and delivered in July. Now, unfortunately, this year, the January tasting sessions got postponed because people were busy. The Feb got postponed, and after that, no other session happened. So I'll have to pull something out of my creative hat and deliver something in July if we do open and start operations. Right. Now, when you talk to an owner of you, he will talk a lot about, um, mm -hmm. you know, which kind of wines will go with what kind of food and stuff like that. What kind? Mm -hmm. How does the deer work? See, there is a level of sophistication you can get into with beer as well, right? In fact, beer offers a wider choice, you know, of flavors and colors, and hence a wider array of pairing uh, is possible. For example, wine, you would have red wine, white wine, then you'd have rosé, uh, then you have obviously all the vintages, and you have sparkling and non-sparkling and maybe a few other varieties. Right. There, right? In beer, you have a choice of white colored beers, you know, and the entire spectrum of colors going up to absolutely dark black, right? So you have your dark beers that go very well with uh, dessert. So you can have a stout with, you know, a chocolate cake or a black forest cake, or you can just take a piece of dark chocolate and have stouts. So we, like I said, we release a kapi stout, which is a stout made with uh, coffee home chicken lure, and we served it with a piece of bitter chocolate uh, and it was it was a beautiful pairing. So you ate the chocolate and you had the, co uh, the coffee start and you had the chocolate kind of complemented each other. Now, Darling Tea, you know, it's a very, there's a tea, underlying tea flavor to it. So Bombay Canteen came up with the idea of serving it with a curry biscuit, right? So pairings are possible and pairings are, you know, work very well with beer as well. But beer is a, you know, not a, not a you know, it's not an expensive drink, firstly. So, you know, we kind of believe that, listen, whatever works for you, you know, do that. You know, beer is great as a refresher. Beer is great to kind of wash your palate down and beer is great to complement flavors as well. And then obviously there are classical suggestions. Like I said, you know, dark beers you can do with uh, stouts and stuff. Uh, you can do with, uh, you know, chocolate and you can do with dessert or even, you know, richly roasted and caramelized meats and vegetables. Light beers go very well with fish. Uh, you could eat them with, uh, you could have them with salads uh, because the light, uh, you know, the aromatics of, of the salad dressing kind of would complement the, you know, malty light character of the lighter beers as well. And the amber hues kind of go both ways. You know, if you have something which is, you know, rich in say a brown sauce or something, you could do an amber beer to wow. go along with that. Now in India, mostly um, when people have, uh, liquor it's you have a lot of liquor and then you mm. have your food so it's not like you're you have it with <laughs> right. your food or after or before or you know how how does that vary i mean do you do you see a pattern here in the restaurant as well see i think a lot of people at least uh many of my friends see it's also the age thing i would think you know when you're in college you tend to drink a yeah. lot and then eat right you're, you're partying you're hanging out you're drinking one after the other and then you end up eating somewhere you know late night uh, as you probably grow older, you know, you're like, okay, I've had a drink. I understand what lining the stomach means. I understand that I shouldn't get tipsy and fall down. So you say, okay, let me have a bite or two with it, right? So I think it's also one is age, one is maturity. Uh, you know, these things play, uh, you know, a critical role. But by and large, yes, a lot of uh, people do tend to drink three or four drinks and then say, abhi khana khayenge. But I don't think that's that's the right way to do it. Have a drink, have a two, you know, probably have two drinks, feel a little tipsy. But, uh, you know, 
eat a bit along with it. So you can one drink a few extra drinks, uh, two not get so high, and three you know not wake up with the hangover Perfect. the next day. And like they say, you should never mix your drinks. Can you mix your beers? I mix all the beers and I mix all the drinks, right? So I I I'm not a subscriber to this. Don't mix your drinks. I haven't even looked at the science of it because for me it's absolutely okay. I could have a beer. And if somebody gave me a whiskey cocktail to try, I probably have a few sips of that. Go back to a beer. If I got fed up of beer or had too many today, and I don't want to drink any more beer, I probably have something which is uh, you know soda based the next day or mix it also. So I I don't have a problem with mixing. I think it's a quantum. that kind of kills people for example if you have a glass of beer which is say 500 ml beer usually people yeah. tend to quaff at least uh, i tend to do that a lot of people will sip beer like wine and I tell them what the hell are you up to so beer is like you know take a big gulp another gulp and third gulp and fourth gulp right but 500 ml will give you at least what six or eight big sips right now if i give you a large whiskey with soda or a large whiskey with water it's probably going to be no more than 250 ml right and if you start drinking that like beer right for every beer you having two yeah. of those so then you have the quantum of alcohol that you consuming is very high you know secondly beer has carbohydrates and calories so more than you know a whiskey or a vodka right unless they are sweetened with some you know sweeteners or mixers or whatever so beer tends to fill you up also a little bit so you don't drink that much that fast right and then when you mix it you end up having hard liquor which is in smaller quantity but more potent and that's where everything goes wrong so we blame that don't mix your drinks but i'm sure there's a science behind it but i i tend to not believe perfect no i need now you know somewhere in the news that in maharashtra alone you mm. guys had to yeah had to put about a lakh of liters of craft beer uh, you had to throw that away because it was nearing expiry due to the lockdown how's that been for you Well, so it all started sometime in March, right? I think about twelfth March was the last delivery we did, twelfth okay. or thirteenth March, and we were geared up for the season time. So March, April, uh, May, and June, this is season time, right? Uh, for the industry, I think over fifty percent, sixty percent of our sales happen in these three four months. So every March, we kind of increase our production so that we can cater to the demand, and we had done exactly that. So we had about eight and a half, nine thousand liters with us. and collectively i think there are about 12 or 14 breweries in mumbai and pune and most of them probably had you know a similar amount of beer lying in prepackaged or packaged form now all of march we paid electricity bills uh, to keep the beer cold because the beer has to be you know kept cold we don't pasteurize otherwise it gets spoiled march went by april went by so you know we were in mid may and it was like should we pay electricity for 2 months our beer is sitting out there obviously it's lost its prime because they are unpasteurized beers right and uh, if you package them in smaller format and keep them cold they're good for another 2 3 months but in a large tank you know you you want to kind of save energy you got to figure out what to do so we went ahead and drained 8000 meters right and many other breweries also figured out a way to either salvage some or you know more or less drain about 70 80% of it So the sad thing is, yes, we threw away a whole lot of beer. Not only that, all the supplies sitting at various bars and restaurants have not been used since March, and fortunately, you know, they haven't got spoiled. At least in the two, three bars I went to and I tasted the beers yesterday and day before, so the beers are absolutely fine. There's no issue with them, but they're just sitting on stock. The restaurants and bars are not really opening. uh you know we aren't able to produce any more beer we aren't able to distribute any more beer so the new policy and the change that has come about 
will allow FL3s, which are these restaurants and bars, to package their beers for takeaway and delivery. But as yet, they're not able to order more beers from us. So until their stocks last, so they probably have 60, 80 liters, and that, that equates to about 80 to 100 bottles of beer. And that's, I think, about 20, 30 customers. And then, you know, the chapter closes there. So we are hoping that in July, you know, we get to do the production and start the supplies. But it has been a very difficult time for us. You know, we probably, a few of us will shut down. Or if this hadn't come about as a savior, uh, you know, many of us would have, you know, thrown in the towel and said, listen, goodbye to this business. I'm sure the F&B sector is hurting as well because uh, they sell, they pay high rents. Uh, they have a lot of migrant laborers who've left and gone. And uh, they sell to consumers who now probably have no money to go and spend. And the fear also has, you know, kind of uh, played around with their business prospects. So the next six months look very, very difficult for the FNB sector and as well as us because we are tied to them to a large extent. So we are pulling through, but uh, all the reserves are over. And uh, if things don't improve in the next three months, we'll have to find a way to kind of take loans and, you know, fill the holes or call it quits and see something else to fill your pockets with. Wow, that's a that's that's a tough time. But you mentioned there's a change in regulation now, right? Um, yes. Now, yes. traditionally, you you commercial beer has some preservative in it, and that's why it allows you to stay on the yeah. shelf for longer. And craft beer does not have yeah. that. How are you going to make sure no. that you? How how does this beer travel uh, when if it's craft but bottled? So, if it's pasteurized, obviously, it will have a uh, you know shelf life for at least right. two or three months. Now, again, beer being food, you know, if you leave it warm, you know, something which is good for six months or when the when the expiry says six months, they actually mean if it's kept cold or in a cool environment, right? Now, our temperatures go up to 36, 40 degrees right. and beyond also. And let's face it, we don't have cold chains and we don't have Correct. logistical support. And even the distribution does not have a lot of cold storage. So our beers, as soon as they leave the factory, the pasteurized ones, you know, start deteriorating. Now look at the unpasteurized ones, you know, they have live yeast and they have a little bit of bacteria, you know, to permissible levels of minuscule levels, right? Now the yeast also over time kept at 36, 38 degrees will start dying. And when they start dying, they leave out off flavors in the beer. And then you have a little bit of bacteria. Suppose you had something that kind of sparked a growth or some nutrition which is left behind carbohydrates are there in beer. So some bacteria could grow, you know, souring of the beer as well. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's food. We have to take care of it. And if we don't, it does tend to get spoiled. And the consumer pays for it or the brewery pays for it. Though. So what's next for you, Navin? I'm waiting some... A lot of you know sort of excited about this change that has come about so i'm hoping to kind of start some sales uh you know with two or three restaurants our tap room we are kind of thinking you know when and how to start that off so it's a wait and watch sort of a game for at least the next six months for us you know i'm not going ahead and opening you know beer shops left right and center because obviously you know one there's no personnel to, you know, nobody's working in the government departments. I think they're down to one third or one fourth the number of employees. So it's a lot of wait and watch. We've been okay with our salaries. We've done some pay cuts, but the, you know, salaries below 16, 17,000, we did not cut and we paid them in full. But quite a few of them have not come back from the villages. So that gets stopped from next month. 
you know, we'll we'll carry on for two three more months and see where it goes. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, so and much. I hope to be back at uh, Gateway Tap Room. It was uh, our favorite uh, place to go every Friday. We found ourselves <laughs> sitting over there and enjoying a meal and you know sampling <laughs> one of you. your Thank beers. You so, so much. yeah, hope to see you there again. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you.